This is a crowd podcast. There's a definite style when you think about how rock and roll wanted women to look in the 60s. The singers, the actresses, the models, the designers, slim figures, boyish hips, long, straight hair parted in the middle, big eyes, bigger eyelashes. And there's one of them in the mamas and the papas. Of course there is. It just isn't Mama Cass. Cass? Oh, she's the one the band can't do without. Those 40 million records sold, the six top 10 hits. It's her voice that powers them. Her charisma that makes them so lovable. But she doesn't feel that way. Doesn't fit the mold. Cass is never slim. Her hair's wild and wavy. Those new cuts the designers are making for those models aren't for her. So she stands out when you first see her, when she's on TV with the other three in the band. The two guys in skinny suits, the other woman who's so 60s she's almost like a doll. When they all sing together, it sounds like the times squeezed and bottled with added vitamins. It's folk meets rock in perfect harmony. It's sunshine and smiles and bright swirls of primary colors. But there's always this sadness close by, a melancholy lying there just under the surface. And that's Cass too. What she has to do to make it, how she's treated when she does, because she's different. The other side of this mad, crazy decade. Not the easy stereotypes, but what's real. A parable of what you can be. A warning of where you can stumble and fall. Making it from nowhere. Part of the underground in New York. Part of the new rock aristocracy in LA. Smoking weed, dropping acid, snorting heroin. Making millions, losing it all. Selling her fur coats to get by. Drugs and sex and jealousy. Love and betrayal. A great yearning for something better, more pure, more beautiful. Even the way she dies in the bloated, cynical fag end of the 70s feels like a 60s rock death. A strange flat in a strange city, chasing a dream that's slipping away. Going far too young, a body aged and broken by the things she's done to it. By the things they've done to her. Myths and scandals to the very end. Cass, she's the sunshine and darkness in one troubled woman. The openness, the paranoia. The dreams of a golden generation. Living and dying under a perfect blue Californian sky. This is Death of a Rockstar, Mama Cass.
Okay, first things first. This is the mamas and the papas, and there's a few of them to get through. John's tall, thin moustache. He's fond of a winter hat, even in the summer. Writes all the songs, too. Michelle's blonde, skinny. She's John's young wife, and she holds the harmonies. Then there's Denny, Canadian, goofy smile, holds the male lead lines. And finally, there's Cass, but only because she asks, and asks, and won't accept a no. At the start, when they're playing bars and clubs on the Greenwich Village folk scene, the other three perform, and Cass, she has to get a job as a waitress to hang around with them. They'll let her rehearse with them, and then John will say, okay Cass, serve some fucking drinks, we're going on stage. Why does it change? LSD. The four of them start dropping together, feeling the world fall away, feeling the connections between them. The flow of energy, of empathy. I am you as you are me, as we are all together. Cass says, when I heard us sing together the first time, we knew, we knew this is it. And when you hear them sing, it's like they've become one again. The first big hits, California Dreamin'. John writes it for Michelle. When she's in New York and missing LA, there's a great wash of harmony, of four voices flowing into each other. The second, that's Monday, Monday. Four-part harmonies, five, six. When they do the Ed Sullivan Show, the same TV show that breaks the Beatles in the States, that launches Elvis to the nation, they look like a happy family. Here are the mamas and the papas. Let's have a fine The four of them, in line, each behind a silver mic stand. John, with an acoustic guitar. Cass, with a tambourine. Melodies for the mainstream. Undercurrents for the counterculture. Cass? You can't miss her. Her manager says, yeah, she's overweight, but she carries it off like she's a beauty queen. Someone else says, what Barbara Streisand's doing for Jewish girls in Brooklyn, Cass is doing for fat girls everywhere. Cass, she says, I've been fat since I was seven. Being fat sets you apart, but luckily I'm bright with it. I've got an IQ of 165. So there's happiness in these songs, but there's also sadness too. A yearning for something not quite there. They do a tune called Go Where You Want To Go. It feels like it sort of sums up everything about being young and free in 1965. Forget the old rules, the old expectations. This is a new world. Reach out and be who you want to be. It's all layers of voices, but it's Cass that cuts through, that holds it aloft. And what's she thinking of when she's singing this beautiful two and a half minutes of optimism and strings and tambourines? 
She's thinking about the atomic bomb, how she used to wake up screaming as a kid, how they do duck and cover drills at school, dive under their desks when the alarm sounded, put their hands over their heads. And that's the way the band are too. Sweet harmony on the surface, chaos underneath. Cass is in love with Denny, has been from the start. Denny doesn't fancy Cass. John says to a reporter, you want to know how we got together? Cass just followed us everywhere we went. It got to be a sadomasochistic game. This is John, who meets Michelle when he's 25 years old and she's 16. He's also married with two kids. When Michelle turns up at their family home, the wife says, you think you're special? He's got a Michelle in every town. You think that's messy? That's only the start. Eventually, Denny starts seeing Michelle, starts drinking to hide the guilt. John finds out, writes a song about it, sort of forgives them both. Michelle has an affair with another musician, Gene Clark from The Birds, another shiny, happy, jangly band. This time, it doesn't go down so well. John fires her from the group. Or at least he does for a bit, until she comes back to him. It's all out of control. John gets a recording studio built in his LA house, thinks, if we can record in my attic, I can stay high all the time. Spends $100,000 at a time when his entire house is worth less than half of that. And Cass? She gets married early, but it's never consummated. She does it to stop a friend from getting drafted into the Vietnam War. Then she gets married again to a writer who says he's the heir to a German castle. He isn't. That one lasts two months. She gets pregnant and carries on taking acid anyway. Tells a reporter, I don't believe in this chromosomal damage. I think it's all hogwash. It's all a vicious plot by the establishment. And the band writes songs about it all. There's one called Creek Alley. Pretty much a band biography in three minutes. Every chorus repeats this line. No one's getting fat except Mama Cass. It's okay when the money's coming in. They put up with all the madness. Stay in the best hotels, fly on private jets, drink and smoke and get high. And when the hits fall away, because they're too wasted to get anything done, too fucked up to sing together anymore, that's when there's nothing keeping them together anymore. No energy flowing, no connections. The end comes when they're on tour in England, although it could have been anywhere. What do you do when the band that's made you famous breaks up? Keep getting high, try new thrills, sit back and wallow in it all. And if you're Cass, you find new connections another way forward. There's a little secret moment we've got to talk about. We're at the Monterey Pop Festival, California, 
1967, the first proper festival like we know them now. It's where Jimi Hendrix will break through, where Otis Redding will cross over from a soul audience to rock. Cass is in the crowd, the cool seats right up by the stage. Big shades, turquoise jewelry. She's watching Janis Joplin, a hippie girl from a shithole part of Texas, making her own cosmic breakthrough, singing like no white girl's ever sung before. Is Cass jealous? Upset that someone's blowing her away? Moving the whole game on, like Eric Clapton is when Hendrix turns up? No, Cass is smiling. More than that, she's in raptures. When Janice finishes, Cass looks around her in wonder, says, wow. Another big grin, says it again, like she's talking to herself. Wow. But this is who Cass is, in love with the new music, the new scene, the way everyone's moving it on. So she goes back to LA and her house in Laurel Canyon, way up above the dirty streets, up the quiet country roads where it's green and the air's fresh and people smoke and talk and dream big. This is where they're all hanging out now, the cool musicians, the stoners, the singers, the guitar players, the producers. Joni Mitchell's there, David Crosby, Neil Young, Stephen Stills, Jim Morrison, Hendrix, when he's around, George Harrison, sometimes. It's Cass who brings them all together. It's her house they hang out at, a stone cottage with a rose garden and the windows always open, and always someone writing tunes and singing songs. There's a yellow Aston Martin under the carport, hers, if she wants to drive it. You walk in, and it's bare wooden floorboards, framed gold records just left there, propped up against the walls, the memories of the mamas and the papas, the money and the fame. The bedroom doors always open too, a bed so large you could lie around on it all day, a canopy of gold velvet draped over carved wooden posts, a huge TV, a box of pills, red ones, yellow ones, flat ones, round ones, an ashtray, magazines and cigarettes, always the perfect blue skies above, the bright California sun, always something else if you want to look. That noise you can hear overhead, maybe it's a police helicopter looking out for what these new rock gods might be up to. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just the paranoia from those pills, the hash, the rumors of who's doing what with who and when. And Cass looks happy, but she doesn't want to get out of that bed. Why? Because her own big move, her own dream has fallen apart. She's the queen of Laurel Canyon, the fixer, the mixer, the glue. And she loves this music, but she's been aiming for somewhere else. 
the big clubs in Las Vegas. A long residency of show tunes and old favorites and big money to keep all this going. And it's a disaster. Okay, we need to have a little ad break, but I'll be back in a minute to tell you the rest of Cass's story. Do you want more crowd podcasts? Let me tell you about the Crowd Stories channel. It's where you can find all of Crowd's documentaries. In one place. And for just £1 a week, they're ad-free. Addictive documentaries like American Vigilante. I'm a monster hunter. It's what I do. And Murder in House 2. I know you know what happened. You want to keep it to yourself, you suit yourself. You're going down. Unbelievable investigations into government cover-ups. Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. And immerse yourself in the stories of death of a rock star. Just search for Crowd Stories on Apple Podcasts. And hit the subscribe button. See you there. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Hello everybody, I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar. This is the story of Mama Cass. Anything seems possible in the 60s, until suddenly, it doesn't. They offer her so much money for these shows at Caesar's Palace, she's almost embarrassed. 
goes to watch Harry Belafonte performing down the strip and thinks, this is 25 years behind the times. Thinks, I'm gonna float my band above the stage on an inflatable helium-filled set. When the curtains open, I want them to go, what? Says, you just wait, you have no idea. I'm gonna blow your brains out. She goes back to her cottage and thinks, I don't look right for this. I'm not slim. I don't have boyish hips, straight blonde hair parted in the middle. Thinks, I need to lose weight. So, she does. Goes on a crash diet and drops almost seven stone. Gets ill. Throat infections, a stomach ulcer. Decides to put the weight back on. Does it by drinking pints of milk and cream. So she's not there when they're practicing with the band when they're trying to put this mind-blowing show together. She's not there for rehearsals. She tries a run-through the night before and has to go back to bed with honey and lemon. It's cameras and film crews and superstars on the first night. The stars of old Hollywood. The stars of the new rock world. Sammy Davis Jr., Liza Minnelli, Jimi Hendrix, Joan Baez. And Cass walks out on stage in this big billowing dress and can't sing. She apologizes, says it will get better, comes back out, tries again, fails again. Watches the crowd walk out stares at the empty seats, the flowers wilting in her dressing room. Here's the headlines she wakes up to the next morning. Sink along with Cass. That's one. An embarrassing drag. That's another. Newsweek compares it to the Titanic. Like some great ocean liner embarking on an ill-fated maiden voyage, Mama Cass slid down the waves and sank to the bottom. Her agents talk about tonsillitis, about bad luck. The rumors around Laurel Canyon say something else. They say she injected heroin just before going on stage. They say she's lost in stuff she doesn't understand. So she goes back to that big bed in the stone cottage and hides, takes the red pills, the yellow ones. Looks at the new sable coat she bought herself with all the Vegas money she was going to earn. Knows she's going to have to send it back. Spreads it out on the bed, smooths out the folds, puts her face into its warm softness and begins to cry. That's how the 60s end for Cass. That's how the 70s begin. Trying to shed the old image, knowing that's what they'll always want from her. She tries telling people, I don't want to be called mama anymore. I never liked it, hated what it meant. Not many listen. And when she does TV, the voice is still there. And the generosity too. 
when she goes on John Denver's show. A man so safe for the mainstream, he looks like the Milky Bar kid. She sings leaving on a jet plane and she makes it beautiful. When she's on TV with Joni Mitchell and Joni's slim and blonde and big eyelashes and Cass is a big shapeless dress of rainbow colors sitting on the floor, she looks on in rapture once more. No jealousy, no anger. She watches someone else move the whole game on and just sings along and smiles. So she goes back to the club circuit, the mainstream, where they want show tunes and cheese and stuff they know. She plays San Francisco. She plays Miami and Puerto Rico. She moves to London. She says she's always wanted to play the Palladium. It's what Judy Garland's done. She says she can feel the vibes from another life she must have lived. Drives to Stonehenge and feels she's been there before. Goes to the Tower of London and says, it's like coming home. Trouble is, Judy Garland never escaped London. She died of an overdose in a little house that nobody knew. Trouble is, London brings other things too. David Crosby's there, maybe the king of the old Laurel Canyon scene, where folk meets rock in perfect harmony. Crosby says him and Cass are doing coke, downers after the coke, heroin, because it's so easy to get in London. So she finishes her show at the Palladium on the Saturday night and spends Sunday at Mick Jagger's birthday party at his house in Chelsea, half a mile from the house where Garland died four years before. She leaves alone, goes to another cocktail party, leaves early saying she's tired, that she needs to sleep. She's not staying at a hotel. She's borrowed a flat from Harry Nilsson, the singer, the guy who does Without You, the big hit ballad who hangs out with John Lennon on his lost weekend. And there's someone she phones before she goes to bed, Michelle Phillips. The other one in the Mamas and the Papas, the perfect 60s girl. The one married to John, who has an affair with Denny, the man Cass has always loved. Here's what Michelle remembers afterwards. She had a little champagne and she was crying. There's others in the flat when Cass is lying there, people coming and going, not pushing open her bedroom door because they think she's asleep. It's her secretary who finds her in the end, who keeps phoning and getting no answer, who lets herself in and finds Cass motionless across the big bed. It's a heart attack. That's what the autopsy will say. But because she's only 32, and because of what she's done and where she's been, one last cruel rumor spreads. She choked, that's what they say. Choked on a ham sandwich. Doesn't matter that it was never true. 
it's a rock myth now. And when the Who's drummer Keith Moon dies in the same room of the same flat four years later, the myths twist and blend together. How Harry Nilsson didn't want Moon staying, telling everyone the place was cursed. How Pete Townsend said to him, yeah, but lightning doesn't strike twice. None of it's fair, but it seldom is with Cass. A true reflection of a mad, crazy decade. Drugs and sex and jealousy. Love and betrayal. The dreams of a golden generation living and dying far from the perfect blue Californian sky. This episode of Death of a Rockstar was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Esmond Cole. It was edited by Crawford Blair. For research, we used the archives of Rolling Stone, Esquire and The Times, as well as David Crosby's autobiography and Dream a Little Dream of Me by Eddie Feigl. The music we used is from BMG Production Music. But if you want to hear some Mama Cass, start with California Dreamin', its classic West Coast harmonies and mood. Then go for a solo track, it's getting better. Because it will, when you hear her version. Then a curveball. Her singing didn't want to have to do it with the loving spoonful. If you want another podcast to listen to, try our episode about Keith Moon or try our other series, Death of a Film Star. Start with our episode about Judy Garland. Just search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzard, WMMS, Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.